Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from the Philippines, Brazil, the United States, and a see you in hell that's a celebrated dead right-wing figure from the Pinochet dictatorship period in Chile. Starting out in the Philippines, the new president of the Philippines, uh, Ferdinand Marcos Jr., a.k.a. Bongbong Marcos, has said that he is not going to let Philippines rejoin the International Criminal Court. The International Criminal Court is an organization headquartered in The Hague that investigates and charges with crimes leaders and officials in countries around the world. Now, the ICC is a little bit complicated and controversial because, uh, you know, they haven't really, like, done any investigating or criminal trials of, you know, people who have committed crimes in major and powerful countries. You know, it, it, it primarily deals with the leaders of countries in Africa and Asia, uh, which is obviously racist and unfair. However, uh, Bong Bong Marcos doesn't want Philippines to rejoin the ICC because they're going to investigate the former president of the Philippines, Duterte, for his atrocities, for the atrocities that his government committed during the supposed war on drugs, which was a government-sponsored program of killing supposed drug dealers. Uh, what this means is that the government of the Philippines was running into impoverished areas in major cities and in rural areas and killing lots of people, like, like thousands and thousands of people. We don't know how many because a lot of these records were not kept. We do, however, know that Duterte didn't just like endorse these plans. He didn't just make them. He actually participated in them. Like, like he literally went out on patrols with guns shooting people. Uh, and because one of Duterte's children is currently Marcos's vice president in the Philippines. Uh, he won't let this uh, rejoining of the ICC happen. Moving on to Brazil, the Brazilian military has purchased for the first time equipment that would allow them to monitor and wipe cell phone data. Uh, this, is, this is the first time that they've had it officially, at least. Uh, this is clearly, at least possibly, preparation for pulling some shit during the election that is upcoming this year in October, and then the second round that will be coming later, about a month later. Uh, this is a little disturbing, but you know, like you would assume a military as large and as powerful in Brazil to have this kind of equipment already that, that they're just purchasing more openly, perhaps. Somewhat more disturbingly, the Brazilian military now has requested from uh, the organization in Brazil that regulates election accountability and, you know, election fairness. Uh, they have requested the source code for the voting machines, for the electronic voting machines that are used in Brazil's upcoming election. Now, why do they want this information? Are they trying to pull some shit, right? You know, are they, are they trying to, like, do something to change the election results? Uh, are they trying to stage a real investigation? of electoral efficacy, you know, to make sure that nothing has been changed? Are they trying to make a fake investigation that would allow them to say like, hey, we've looked at the source code and we know that the election has been tampered with? Uh, this is just one more piece in a puzzle of complicated interactions and alliances among Bolsonaro, the military, and other parts of the Brazilian government. Now, Bolsonaro's party already has access to this code. It's something that, like, the Brazilian government, like this, elect this electoral or 
organization provides freely to institutions that might want it, like, for example, major political parties. Bolsonaro's party isn't looking at it, though, because they want to be able to claim that it's fraudulent, right? You know, they, they don't want their investigation to find that it is actually working. Moving on to the United States, a small story about a Senate seat in Arizona, a state Senate seat, uh, which has been lost in a primary challenge. Uh, this is a Republican candidate for Arizona State Senate. His name is Rusty Bowers. He had served in the Arizona State Senate for a very long time, and he has lost to a Trump-endorsed candidate. Now, that sort of stuff happens all the time, but the important thing about Mr. Bowers is that he directly, like specifically directly, defied Trump, who had called him to tell him to change Arizona's electoral results, right? You know, he wanted Arizona to send in different electors. He wanted them to say that Trump had won Arizona. Mr. Bowers declined, you know, he refused. And in response, Trump endorsed his primary candidate and Bowers has been unseated. Uh, this is a part of a disturbing trend on the part of the Trump administration and its afterlife uh, to try to pack state Senate offices, right? You know, to, to get state governments uh, in areas that Trump thinks that he might be able to win in 2024, full of Trump loyalists. Speaking of more people who have worked with Donald Trump and are, you know, at least now facing consequences, uh, a man named Guy Refit, who is the first person who was convicted in a trial for his involvement in the attempted coup on January 6th of last year, uh, he has now been sentenced. Uh, he was previously a recruiter for the Three Percenters, uh, which was a fascist paramilitary organization that was operative uh, during and around the height of the coup time. Uh, he has been found guilty of bringing weapons to the capital invasion, and he's been sentenced to seven years in prison. This is the longest sentence that anybody has gotten for their involvement in the coup. Even so, this is at the low end of the range that the judge had at her disposal. In, in the United States legal system, often there are uh, sort of guidelines and parameters for how long a person can be put in prison or how long a sentence can be operative, and this judge shows one of the more lenient options. Uh, Guy Ruffett uh, is famous not just for being the first person to uh, be convicted who, who like had his prosecution brought to trial, uh, for the coup. You know, he, he didn't accept a plea bargain. He went to trial. Uh, he's also famous because he had the evidence against him brought to the court by his son, uh, who is on record as saying that he supports the sentence that his dad is guilty uh, of, you know, trying to overthrow the United States government. In further news in the United States, CPAC, that's the Conservative Political Action Committee, is starting this weekend. Uh, it will showcase GOP talking points and politics ahead of the midterms. Trump and Orban and a bunch of other Republican and conservative figures are going to be speaking. I'll be covering what they actually talk about next week. And speaking of conservative and right-wing talking heads, Alex Jones, uh, the leader and spokesperson for InfoWars, a notoriously combo right-wing conspiracy theory, fascists, and also like, you know, cosmological and um, supplement store 
thing. Um, Infowars is a bizarre, bizarre phenomenon. Anyway, Alex Jones is the leader of and uh, the host of Infowars, uh, and he is currently on trial. Uh, he's on trial to determine the damages that he has to pay to parents whose children were murdered in the Sandy Hook massacre of 2012. Uh, this mass shooting killed dozens of children at an elementary school in the Northeast of the United States. And Alex Jones is perhaps most famously at this point known for denying that the Sandy Hook massacre took place. Specifically, he's long claimed that it was a hoax designed to get people in the United States to support gun control. You know, he, he has even gone so far as to say that, like, they chose a fake school and fake actors and, you know, that none of these parents uh, were really parents and that they, they picked a school so that it would incense people more, you know, so that, so that people would support gun control afterwards. Uh, this is obviously disgusting. Alex Jones is a terrible, terrible person, and he has perjured himself several times in this trial. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty clear that he's going to get convicted um, and that he is going to have to pay quite a lot of money to the parents of the victims in the massacre. Now, the reason that I bring this up in a podcast about the right wing is that Alex Jones isn't just like a creepy propagandist who like is just purely on the fringes. Alex Jones is a right wing propagandist. He is anti-Semitic. He is racist. He supports the Trump administration's opposition to democracy. He was even present on January 6th. He was giving speeches and stuff, right? This is, this is a guy who is deeply tied into all of this stuff. Uh, and here he is about to need to pay a massive amount of damages, we can only hope, to the people whom he has victimized by his denying that their murdered children ever existed. What a what a disgusting person. Moving on to further news about the attempted coup in the United States last year, we now know that the Pentagon, in addition to the Secret Service, wiped their phones after January 6th. Specifically, we know that the Department of Defense uh, wiped the phones of officials who were leaving at the end of the Trump administration. This destroyed an unknown number of text messages related to the attempted coup from people who are witnessing those events inside of the Pentagon and inside of the defense apparatus in general. Uh, these are officials in the Department of Defense, uh, including then Acting Secretary of Defense, Cress Miller, who Trump appointed uh, near to the end of his term. These people are vital to understanding who knew what when during the coup, and now we might not know exactly what they were talking about, who they were and texting with what they knew about the coup before it happened, what they knew about it during it, if they were getting any directives from the Trump administration about what to do about the coup. You know, we don't know those things now. Uh, the Department of Defense claims that this is standard practice, you know, that they wipe the phones of people after they leave office. But uh, this is obviously crap. Like, th that, that's obviously bullshit. It, it's completely ridiculous. Clearly, they know that some some of these text messages would indicate some degree of complicity in the coup, either that they knew about it and didn't respond to it, or that they were helping to plan it. I mean, like, this is, this is the real deal. You know, this is potential evidence that the leaders of the Department of Defense were complicit in an attempted coup 
to overthrow the government of the United States and like also maybe kill the vice president. It's, 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 it's astonishing. And it's disgusting that we don't have access to this information anymore. Moving on to See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. We are moving to a figure who is important because of his participation in a coup. Uh, this man is Manuel Contreras. Uh, he is a little early. You know, he actually died next week, but uh, I got a fun one next week, so I want to talk about him today. Uh, Contreras was the leader of the DINA, uh, which is the Chilean equivalent of the FBI or the CIA during the Pinochet administration. Uh, Contreras was born in 1929 in Santiago, uh, Santiago in Chile. Uh, he attended a military academy and did very well. He returned to military school as a military engineering student. And there he met uh, then-Captain Augusto Pinochet in the army, uh, who was a professor at the War Academy, uh, where Contreras was going to school to be in the general staff, uh, to be a general staff officer. Uh, which is uh, the, the upper echelons of the Chilean military. Uh, he did extremely well, uh, and he earned extremely high positions in the Chilean army. Uh, he also was uh, able to attend a prestigious uh, little school bit at the School of the Americas in 1967. Uh, the School of the Americas was a place where the United States military would offer networking and training and, you know, some like creepy coordination stuff among conservative military officials in Latin America throughout much of the Cold War. During the Allende administration, the socialist Allende administration, uh, Contreras laid the groundwork for a right-wing network of, you know, like right-wing paramilitary organizations. This, however, did not need to get triggered in order to stage the coup because Pinochet just did it himself. So on September 11th, 1973, uh, Augusto Pinochet overthrew the government of Salvador Allende, uh, and Pinochet and his other military allies imposed a military government on Chile. And Pinochet turned to his former protege and student, Contreras, to lead the crackdown on the left and on union organizers and on journalists. And uh, Contreras did an incredible job at this. He was the leader and chief architect of something called Operation Condor, uh, the Condor Plan, uh, which was an international intelligence sharing and disappearance scheme, uh, which focused on people who were organizing internationally in Latin America, specifically in South America, specifically in the Southern Cone. Uh, so that's Argentina, Bolivia, Paraguay, Uruguay, Chile, and later on Brazil as well. Uh, these countries shared information with each other about uh, people whom they wanted to kill, uh, who they thought might be hiding in each other's countries. They extradited people to uh, their fellow right-wing governments in order to have them killed, or they killed them on each other's behalf. Uh, Condor was extremely successful and ultimately resulted in the deaths of some tens of thousands of people, uh, if we include all the deaths across all of these countries. Eventually, they also engaged in assassinations outside of Latin America, and that's sort of where they ran into some trouble. Uh, they uh, assassinated some people in Paris, and also, and most importantly, uh, Contreras engaged in an assassination uh, of a person named Orlando Letelier, who was a former official in the Allende administration and who, was who had escaped the Chilean government in Washington, D.C. So, this is a Chilean intelligence official 
who had a car bomb planted in the car of a former Chilean government official in 1976. And uh, the car bomb exploded. It killed Letelier and also his U.S. citizen attache and like assistant person. This, of course, pissed off the government of the United States because, you know, you, you can't assassinate people in the street of Washington, D.C. Like, they're not going to let you do that. Uh, in the wake of the fallout of this, Pinochet closed down Operation Condor. Uh, and Contreras continued on in the dictatorship as a general, but, you know, not, not super duper in charge of anything. After the dictatorship of Pinochet ended in the early 90s, uh, Contreras quickly went to jail <laughs> for several years for the Letelier assassination. Uh, he was let out in 2001. However, after that, his life was essentially over as he became the chief scapegoat of the entire, like, disappearance system. Uh, he faced conviction after conviction after conviction for his um, murders, you know, and for his engaging in disappearance schemes. Uh, eventually, he was uh, supposed to be serving uh, over 500 years in prison because of all of the murder convictions that he had had. Near the end of his life, he tried to turn on Pinochet and tried to get Pinochet, uh, you know, pegged for some of these crimes. Uh, however, Pinochet died before he could be convicted uh, of any of the crimes that Contreras provided evidence for. Uh, Contreras himself died of kidney failure the 7th of August uh, 2015, uh, this, you know, next week in history. Uh, he had about 490 years left on his sentences. So, Miguel Contreras, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. You can also check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism, all one word. You can also check me out on Gmail at 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right. And as fascism 15. All right, thanks, and I'll talk to you next week.